Hello, you are listening to Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show, a weekly radio program that spotlights positive real estate development and neighborhood revitalization throughout Philadelphia. I'm your host, Derek Hengemill. Jumpstart Philly is a unique community development program that trains, mentors, networks, and provides funding to aspiring real estate developers in seven different Philadelphia neighborhoods, including Germantown, where the program was founded. Jumpstart believes that you can do well by doing good and focuses on removing neighborhood blight, scattered site rehab, creating a healthy mix of affordable and market rate housing, and avoiding gentrification through slow, steady growth and keeping wealth local. Interviews are conducted during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jumpinar series on Monday nights at 7 p.m. held via Zoom webinar. For more information about these events, you can check out the events page at jumpstartgermantown.com. This week, I am speaking with Jumpstart Germantown mentor and experienced home inspector Bob Worth, who will discuss all you need to know about property walkthroughs and how to complete an effective home inspection for a potential project. I hope you enjoy the conversation and be sure to check out the podcast version of this program at jumpstartgermantown.com slash media. Bob is a home inspector and developer who has worked in Mount Airy and Germantown for 18 years. He started out developing 318 West Johnson Street by helping to convert this large home into seven different apartment units. He then started rehabbing single-family houses on his own, and in 2013, he built two new construction houses in Germantown. And Bob ha- Bob became a home inspector in 2014 and is an advocate of Jumpstart Germantown. He's both a mentor in the program and has done a construction project using their services, like Angie just mentioned mentioned there. So it's uh, my pleasure to introduce him tonight, and, and I'll, uh, I'll let him introduce himself. How's it going, Bob? It's going well, guys. Thank- thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, I am uh, excited to share some of my information and hope that it's going to help everybody uh, to make some informed decisions moving forward. You know, when you are purchasing a house to rehab, it is a big deal. And you want to make sure you are getting as much information as you can when you get into that house. Uh, You know, whether it's the physical condition of the outside, the brick, the front walkway, the roof, when we do a home inspection, we always say there's there's eight systems in the house and we inspect all eight and I have it all set up onto a program and it makes it pretty easy for me to do. Uh, but you guys don't have that program. So with today, we're trying to make sure when you go in, you're going to make uh, the best, you know, uh, and most informed decision you can, whether you want to move forward with this project. So you want to take a look at the HVAC equipment. You want to take a look at the front and the, 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 the full exterior of the house. You want to look at the walkways, porches. Uh, Derek and I were just laughing because we were trying to figure out how are you going to get a chance to look at the roof? And we were, we were coming up with some different ways that we thought might help. But uh, that's what it's all about. It's about going in, making the most informed decision you can, and trying to establish what needs to be replaced and what doesn't need to be replaced. And uh, remember, whenever you're rehabbing a house, these budgets are tight. I have been there and it's amazing. We're all excited when we get started and we have 60 or $70,000 to rehab a house or sometimes it's as little as 30 or $20,000. 
but that money will go fast. And you want to get uh, as much out of what's already there as you can. So, you know, just because you go into a house and you might have a boiler that's 30 years old, it doesn't mean that that boiler necessarily has to be replaced. So we want to stretch our dollar as far as we can. And uh, that's why we want to do a full inspection of the property before we get in there. So today I'm going to basically talk to you about how I've inspected houses before I've gone in to rehab them and make that determination of what I can salvage and what I can't. Uh, you know, I'm always hoping that we all dream that we're going to get into the house that we want to renovate. We're going to pull up the rug and we're going to have these amazing uh, oak floors that are, you know, there's almost no damage. We're just going to have to come in and screen them and it's going to be perfect. That's rarely the scenario. So we want to know what we have to do and what we don't. And, uh, you know, hopefully, like I said, uh, make, make sure that when we get in there, we're able to take that budget that we've established and finish the project. So with that being said, we're going to talk about each and every, each and every different aspect of what we're going to look at inside the house. Oh, that's great, Bob. And, and that is exactly what we're, we're here to do. So I appreciate you, you laying that out. And, and I know we only have about 30, 35, 40 minutes to talk here, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll cover as much as we can and, and maybe we'll have you back if we can. Um, okay. So, so I'm going to jump in and, and just start with the first question. Um, I, I mentioned in my introduction uh, that you're both a developer yourself and a, a home, ex home inspector um, since 2014. Uh, tell me a little bit about your experience with both. You know, when you were a developer, did you did you fall in love with the inspection so so much that you decided to become a home inspector? Or, uh, or, or actually, no, I, I I literally couldn't stand home inspectors, so I became a home inspector. Because <laughs> guess what a home inspector does? He comes in, he make he, you've done all this beautiful work, you've gotten the house looking great, and you're all excited about what you're delivering to your buyer, and this guy comes in or a woman and comes in and tears it apart and, talk, and talks about all the negative of what's in the house mm -hmm. and what hasn't been done and what has been done. Mm -hmm. So uh, I actually became a home inspector because I was hoping somebody would make a little bit more of a fair evaluation and maybe indicate some of the good things about the renovation and not just the bad. Uh, that being said, I'm a pretty tough home inspector. I go, <laughs> I go and I find plenty wrong with the houses. Uh, but, you know, we're hoping, uh, the, the idea is we're hoping when I get in there that some of the bigger things are looking good. What's better than when I get into a house and everything's structurally sound? Uh, nothing. I, I, it, it's the best part of a home inspection. It's when I come in, the floors are all level. I don't have any foundation issues. I don't have any floors, floor rafters, uh, not floor rafters, but floor joists that are rotted and having issues and uh you know that's that's always one of my favorite things so i uh in 2014 after i had finished building two houses in germantown i decided to go in and become a home inspector and i was really glad i did i've, I've had a great experience and i've really learned what to look for and what not to look for and really help buyers the people who are hopefully buying the houses you guys are renovating uh, establish what, what has been done well and uh, maybe what they're going to have to tackle in the future. 
Yeah. So, so in my view, there, there's two different types of home inspection. There's a, a home inspector as the buyer thinking about this is a place that I want to live in. And this is like the end product. This is what I'm getting. And then the other side of that is, is the inspection as a developer where you're looking at as a project, as something to, to work on and improve upon. Um, so, so what are the, what the differences? Between, I'm sure there's, there's plenty, but maybe. <laughs> they are two very different inspections. Yeah. Uh, my inspection for the buyer is much more detail oriented and looks at every aspect of the house. You as a, as a developer, somebody who wants to buy a property, rehab it, and really establish it for sale to make a profit, are looking for bigger things. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things I really want you to look for when you come in is, uh, I want you to come in and I want you to look at, uh, one, when you come in, I want you to look at everything from a structural standpoint. So what's one of the first things I look at as a home inspector when I look at the front side and back of the house? I look at all of the brick. I look at all the, the, the uh, mortar joints uh, in the brick. I look at all the lentils over the windows. Lentils are what actually support the brick over top of the window. And uh, what there's nothing worse than when you see old, cracked and sagging bricks over top of a window. You know, the lentil is no good and it has to be replaced. And as a developer getting started, you might not think much of it. You're like, oh, you know, we can just go up there and throw some mortar in it. That's not the case. When you see a lentil that is gone, you have to replace that steel angle iron or that concrete lentil, depending on what's up there. And it's expensive. Uh, you know, I, I use a guy out of Germantown, a guy named Rudy Graham, and Rudy usually charges me about 500 bucks per lentil. Now, if I have two or three that need to be done, the price will come down. But you want to make sure that when somebody buys that house, that the home inspector is not going to come in and throw out a structural issue. Because when he does, a lot of time that's going to end, that's going to end that buyer purchasing your property. So we want to make sure when they look at the house, that they see a house that's structurally sound. That's what I was saying earlier. That's level, the lentils are good, the bricks are all pointed, and that they feel 100% confident in their investment. So you, as the developer, wanna come in and say, all right, I'm, I'm looking at this house. There's four lentils that are no good, and I wanna make sure that you budget, you know, three to $500 per lentil to make sure that you are going to be able to deal with these and deal with them correctly so that they're going to be, you know, structurally sound and the house is going to look good uh, from a visual standpoint when somebody comes to see it. Gotcha. So, so, and I imagine uh, if you're walking through as, as a purchaser, you know, someone who wants to live in you're not really looking at that sort of stuff, I <laughs> focus on what looks pretty and, and, and how you're going to like living in it. Um, so, so I, I like that. It's like you're immediately, even before you step foot in the door, you're already looking for things that are going to you know, make your life hell down the road, right? <laughs> that, that's, that's right. Uh, I always look at porch posts too. How many of these houses that we go into rehab have a front porch uh, or a back porch? Uh, I, would say, I would say almost 50%. And when I go in, I want to see that the porch is structurally sound. I want to see that the posts are solid that there's a beam up in place, that there's a ceiling on the porch. Uh, and that when people get in there, remember, one of the biggest things is your first impression that you put on a person when they're buying the property. And when they come in, if it doesn't look right, trust me, they're not going to be there for long. So that front porch, making sure everything is structurally sound is important as well. 
to the beam coming across, to the post supporting it, making sure that the flashings that the roof is attached properly. Uh, if the porch is pulling away, you're going to you're going to have to estimate that it's going to probably be you know a thousand dollars to to get it repaired properly, and to get somebody to jack it in and 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 reattach it and make sure that it's structurally sound. Hmm. So remember, the first impression uh, people get of your property is the most important, and the same thing when you go in to purchase your house. You, you know, you're not going to get a perfect house because usually you're trying to get something that's a little less expensive, but hopefully you're not coming in and you're not going to have big structural issues like posts that are rotting, things that aren't, aren't, aren't set properly. And, uh, you know, like I said, bad lentils, things like that, where there's, there's structural issues and you know, they're going to be expensive to repair. Okay, so so before we you know walk through the door and, and continue on that the the order of inspections that you do, um, I, I want to just talk about the inspection of the whole a little bit. And you know, in your viewpoint as a for a developer, somebody who's looking for their first or second project of a, a single family home in Germantown, what should their goal at the end of the inspection be? Should it be yes, I'm going to buy this, or yes, I'm not going to buy it, or is is there more complexity to that? You know, like should, like you know, maybe you inspect three different homes. How do you rank them? How do you like? What's the, uh, what, what is the goal after an inspection rather than like sold or not sold? Or is that the goal? <laughs> for, for, um, I can only speak for myself with the goal. And, and my goal when I used to go in and look at these houses was trying to establish a budget mm-hmm. for renovation and making sure that I was fairly accurate with how much work needed to be done. And there's nothing worse. I always say, what's the worst part that people never think of with it with a home inspection. And guess what it is? Chimneys. <laughs> Nobody ever thinks of a chimney. Mm-hmm. And whenever you have a chimney repaired or replaced or worked on, it's expensive. No, no chimney expert comes in and does any work on a chimney for less than a thousand dollars. And I like people to be aware that guess what? When you are coming in and you're plugging your HVAC equipment into this old chimney you want to make sure that everything is sound, that there's not going to be any carbon monoxide leaks, that the chimney is structurally sound and that you are going to be good to go. So yes, uh, I try and without going too far into the chimney thing, I try to establish that everything is structurally sound. And uh, I try and establish the ages of HVAC equipment and I actually had sent Derek a couple of slides earlier because whenever I establish the age of an HVAC system or a water heater, I use the serial number. So take a look. You're looking at serial numbers right now. And that serial number on my left, uh, take a look. It says 1307. That is a Goodman air conditioning coil. And guess what? With Goodman, the first two numbers that they put on the serial number or the year it was manufactured. So you see the serial number, it says 1307. That 13 uh, is the year it was manufactured. So that air conditioning system is eight years old. Now we'll go over to the Bradford white water heater. And I was just telling Derek, I have a way that I do Bradford white water heaters. I say, I have a little rhyme, it says Z for 2003. And what you do, so if you see a Z uh, as the first number in the serial number, you see this one has an L, but if you see a Z as the first number in the serial number, 
uh, it means that it was, it was manufactured in 2003. If you see an A, it's 2004, a B, 2005, and so on. And then I always, like an L is 2013. So strangely enough, these were from the same house that I did this afternoon, and they were both put in in 2013, uh, which is very common. Most of the time, you'll find that a lot of things are done together because people, when they renovate the house or budget to do repairs, will do things in unison. So the serial number for that Bradford White water heater is 2013, meaning it's eight years old and a water heater on average lasts 10 years. Uh, it doesn't mean when it's 10 years old, it's got to go. Uh, that's basically a manufacturer's warranty. But you want to know that you're going to get a few years out of that water heater. So when you come in and you look at a Bradford White and you see, uh, and you see an A, you're going to know, oh, my God, this is from 2004. This water heater is uh, 16 or 17 years old. And guess what? It's probably going to have to be replaced. Mm -hmm. So do you want me to continue on to the next slide or? or... Uh, sure. So this was the furnace that I looked at today. And guess what year this was from? I don't think anybody will be able to guess. It was from 1987. It was a Lennox system from 1987. And I was able to read it on the serial number. I did not show the serial number on this. Uh, with a good piece of Lennox equipment like this, yes, you might be able to get a few years out of it. But when a home inspector comes in to look at it, when you go to sell the property, he's going to probably say it's older and needs to be replaced. So you, as the renovator, are going to probably want to get rid of it. Uh, a lot of times, I'll leave that equipment in place and work if it's still working, I'll work with it and use it. But uh, you know, if the equipment's older than 25 years, my general, my general consensus is that it needs to be replaced because when people are buying a house that's been rehabbed, they tend to be paying a premium and they don't wanna come in and have a, uh, a furnace that's 34 years old. So keep that in mind. Now, I wanna let you know that that furnace worked beautifully today and I hate to throw away a good piece of equipment, but uh, you just want to be prepared for, you know, doing your renovation and doing it right. If you're just tuning in, this is a conversation with Jumpstart Germantown mentor and experienced home inspector Bob Worth to discuss all you need to know about property walkthroughs and how to complete an effective home inspection for a potential project. Thank you for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. I hope you enjoy the discussion. Oh, great. So I, I promise we'll get to the, the inspection process in a second, but my, my one more kind of baseline question for you. For you, um, you know, think about for a developer who's never done a home inspection, maybe this is their very first project and they're, you know, meeting a contractor there or something. Like, what should someone expect when they're walking into, you know, a typical single family home for rehab? Like, what conditions should they expect to be in? I know there's probably a range of it, but what would you say is the most common scenario um, as far as uh, the status of a, a, a brick single family home? Well, I think most of the time when you go into a rehabbed house, what do you usually find? You usually find a dated property usually find uh, old carpeting. They tend to be musty. There tends to be wind, old window treatments around that make the house dark and musty. Uh, 
you tend to have a dated kitchen and bathroom. Uh, and you tend to sometimes have a pretty cluttered condition because sometimes there's a lot of materials that are left in the house. Mm-hmm. So you have to sort of look through the clutter and see what's good and what's not good mm-hmm. and uh, establish what's salvageable so that you can, you know, do the lowest budget you can. Uh, when, I, when I come in and am buying a house, let's say we're buying a house in Mount Airy for you know, $75,000. And the idea is when we're done, we want to sell it for $175,000. I don't want to put more than 30 or $40,000 into it because of all my costs and realtor costs when I'm done. Mm -hmm. So I want to say what's good and what's not good. And like I said, that's why I want you guys to look at these serial numbers so you can go down and say, wait a minute, this Bradford White Water Heater's got an L, it's 2013. And it's not that old. I don't have to replace the water heater. So I'm going to save money right there. Or I'm going to go down and I'm going to find a good carrier furnace that is only 16 years old. And I'm not going to have to actually replace that furnace. I'm just going to have it cleaned up and maybe add air conditioning, maybe do a few ductwork things. Uh, But the idea is you want to make the best evaluation you can so that you know that uh, what you have to spend and what you don't. Because remember, those budgets are tight, especially right now, building costs have gone up since COVID. And you know uh, things are a little bit more expensive than they were two, two or three years ago. So you especially right now wanna make the best determination because you wanna salvage as much of what is there as you can. Remember, these old houses were built well. They really were. And uh, they're built better than new construction houses are today. And hopefully you're getting in there and finding a fairly structurally sound house. And you might even get in there and be lucky enough to find that some of the equipment uh, doesn't all have to be replaced. Don't go in there with the mindset that I'm gutting everything. How much would I love to come in and find like an old like GE profile range? that is maybe 10 years old, that all I have to do is clean up. Because trust me, it's going to be probably better than some range you're going to buy at the Home Depot today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to you you stretch your budget as much as you can. And that's why I want you guys, when you go in, to in- inspect it as thoroughly as you can. So you know uh, what you have to do and what you don't have to do. And that's why we're here today to make sure that you're sort of educated in what to look for and what not to look for. Okay, so so let's uh, let's jump on in, and and I think you, if you have anything more to say about the exterior, about that that first step, you know, when you you get out of your car and you're looking at the property, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you continue on, and, and let's say you open the door and, and you you go in. What what's the next step? All right, usually the next step after I go and take a quick look around the first floor, I usually go right to the basement. And when I get down to the basement, here's what I'm looking for. I want to go and look at all the floor joists. Hopefully the basement's not finished and you can actually see what's going on down there. But I want to look at the floor joists. I want to look at the foundation. I want to make sure there's no big cracks. I want to make sure there's no rot in the floor joists that are supporting, uh, you know, the first, second, the first and second floors. I want to make sure that uh, things look structurally sound. Uh, I want to make sure there's no termite damage. So I will go through and grab a flashlight and go all the way around the perimeter of the basement to take a look and see what I'm dealing with. Uh, 
no basement's perfect. You're always going to find a little bit of rot. You're always going to find a musty, dirty condition. But uh, the idea is you want to know what, what needs to be repaired and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. uh, the next step I do is I look at the utilities. How many utilities do we have with every house that we buy? Usually three. We have water and electric in every property. And then we have gas in probably 90%. So I want you guys to take a look and I want you to take a look at that water line. We're hoping that you're going to have a good copper water line coming into the house. And we're hoping that it has a shutoff valve that is operational so that when you go to do your renovations, you can shut the water down and make whatever pipe changes you need to make. Uh, with electric, most row homes that you guys are going to look at are going to be 100 amps. That's the standard. Sometimes you'll see 200 amps, but mostly it's single family houses that have 200 amps. Mm -hmm. uh, when you have 100 amps, uh, you are going to have multiple gas appliances because the 100 amps is really geared towards just doing the electric for the house. You might have a dryer or an electric hot water heater, but remember an electric range, if you have an electric uh, stove or range, uses 40 or 50 amps. So it's better with a hundred amp service to have gas. I always, I have a theory and I tell everybody I inspect the house for uh, every, every day, two or three times a day. I say, if you have your choice between gas or electric, get gas. Gas is more efficient. It's nicer to cook with. You know, if you have a gas hot water heater, the water heater costs about $215 to run a year. If you have an electric hot water heater, guess what? It costs about $450 a year, over twice as much. So I always say, if you got your choice between gas and electric, go gas. Uh, well, let me ask you about what if, because you mentioned it when you started talking about the basement there, what if the walls are up in the basement and it's, and it's finished? Are you kind of out of luck or, or, you know, should you look for a mechanical closet or something? No, absolutely. You should you look for a mechanic, wherever you have access and you'll tend to have access at the front of the basement, at the rear, and in a mechanical room, a lot, oftentimes in closets. If the basement is poorly finished, a lot of times you'll have a drop ceiling, uh, and you can just lift the drop ceiling tiles out. Now, remember, what's the area I'm looking for or you're looking for? You want to go around the perimeter. The perimeter is where you tend to have the issues. Uh, that's where you tend to get the rot at the ends of the floor joists. That is where you tend to have structural problems. So I will usually pop a couple tiles out and I will take a look at all the floor joists and see what the condition of them is. And hopefully they look good. Most of the time they do. I would say, I would say 80% to 90% of the time, those old floor joists stand the test of time and they're fine, but you don't want to guess. You want to know because uh, those can be expensive repairs. So when you get down to the basement, do that perimeter check. If it's all drywalled off, yes, Derek, you are a little bit out of luck and you're gonna have to hope that uh, things are fine because you can't, you can't do a, you can't physically remove anything from a house you don't own. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, if you are lucky enough that it's wide open or has a drop ceiling, you can move a cup and you don't have to move every panel, you know, use your best judgment. You move a couple panels, go to the back corner, go to where 
you think there might be moisture problems uh, and establish, you know, whether, what the condition, the physical condition of the house is. So, so another common feature of the basement that a lot of jumpstart projects uh, typically come across is the French drain. And usually it's the uh, developer installing a French drain in the basement. But are you able to, to like see that from, from an inspection to see if one has been installed or not? Or, or, or is that such a new addition to basements that it wouldn't, you wouldn't see that in, a, in an old, like outdated house? I had, I had to do a French drain in the last project I did. I actually bought a house that can had originally owned, I think it was the second house he ever bought on Philalena Street. Mm. And uh, when I got in there, it had been underpinned and there was some moisture in the basement. So I ended up putting in a sump pit, a large sump pit, and we did a perimeter drain in the back where we were having water problems. Mm -hmm. uh, the perimeter drain ended up costing $2,300, mm -hmm. uh, which is expensive. And it was not a, a, a cost that I had estimated. But, uh, you know, it's important that you, when you get down into that basement, and that's an excellent point, Derek, when you get down into that basement that you establish also if it's a wet basement or a dry basement. Now, remember, no basement when you have an old stone basement is completely dry. You're still below grade. You're still going to have some moisture down there. But the idea is you want to make sure you don't have like water coming in. And if you do, you want to find out why and you want to make sure you deal with it. Okay, great. Yeah, that, that answers my question. Um, so, so moving on, once you're done with the basement, you're ready to, to head back up. What's next? I usually head straight to the kitchen. And yeah. the before you get in, it's probably because I've heard other speakers say that, that kitchens and bathrooms are the selling point of the house. So you want to make sure that they are really the, you know, the, the places where you're focused on, right? Yeah, absolutely. Kitchen, kitchens and bathrooms are going to be an area that you're going to most likely renovate. I'm going to say 90% of rehabbers renovate these areas, maybe even 95%. And you want to get in there and you want to see if there's anything salvageable. And uh, if not, you want to establish a budget to redo your kitchen. Uh, the last three rehabs I've done, I've done Ikea kitchens. So I'll come, I'll go down, I'll get the square footage of the kitchen. I'll establish how much cabinetry I need. I'll do it. I'll, I'll sit down with one of those Ikea designers. By the way, they will design it for you for free if you purchase the kitchen from Ikea. And uh, it will help you to put together a plan. Uh, this is something you should have. This plan should be in place before you purchase the property. Remember, you right off the bat, when you're coming in to do this, inspection before you purchase the property, want to establish your budget. That's really one of the biggest reasons for the inspection. I've probably said this about five times now. And uh, I want you to go in that kitchen and assuming that the kitchen is a complete gut, uh, I want you to get the square footage of the kitchen, say it's 10 by 10. I want you to establish a, just a general idea and you can use where their current appliances are as a general layout and uh, put together a general plan of how you're gonna do it and then go down to Ikea. All you need is the measurements. If you have the measurements, they can help you establish the what you need and the cost. I don't think Ikea sells appliances anymore. Uh, they used to have an appliance line. So then you'll go and do an appliance package. I usually do them from Gearhearts or Home Depot. And it usually ends up being about $2,500. And that's your refrigerator, microwave, 
range and dishwasher. So that, that's, how, that's how I do it. Uh, I, on average, budget ten dollars to $15,000 for a kitchen. And remember, I keep it simple with kitchens, black and white. Uh, that, it's timeless. It's what people like. You don't necessarily have to do granite countertops. They make good Formica countertops. You can do butcher block. Uh, but you want to stay within a budget that works for when you sell the property. Remember, if somebody wants new countertops, they'll, they'll get their own new countertops when, they, when they're ready and they'll get what they want. We're just trying to put in a clean kitchen that's really functional and that is sort of timeless where if they get in there and they don't want to rehab the kitchen, it's black and white, it looks great. And uh, the idea is they can use it for 10 years or 20 years uh, or until they're re ready to renovate it themselves. Okay. Nobody needs to, nobody needs really high end appliances. You just want to get good, usable GE, uh, Frigidaire, Whirlpool, things like that when you're doing kitchen renovations. And right. like I said, keep that budget below fifteen thousand dollars. That's your total budget. Keep that in mind. So yeah, so it sounds like once you get into the kitchen, that's where your your design side can kind of come out a little bit more and start to think of like possibilities rather than. The, the structural bones of the building, right? It should be the single most fun thing you do in your renovation should be that kitchen should be where you really have the best time. But like I said, don't get too personalized with it because it's a house you're selling and it's not, a, it's it, you we all want to renovate. We all get excited because you know, it's we're, we're, we're bringing out our artistic flair in the kitchen. Right. But at the end of the day, we want it to be clean and really usable. Uh, if you're going to do this renovation as a uh, rental and keep it as a rental, a lot of the time I won't even put a dishwasher in it. What I do is I'll put a 24-inch base cabinet in next to the sink. And then if I uh, decide I want to put a dishwasher in later to sell it, I'll just take, this, I'll just take that, that base cabinet out and put a 24-inch dishwasher in. Okay, so let's talk about what's left. You got bathrooms and then upstairs and, and living area. What, what do you have to say about that? All right. Well, uh, next thing we're going to do is we are going to walk around the house and we are going to establish uh, the electrical situation. I want to see what lighting we have. I want to check our outlets. A lot of time you're going to get into these older homes and guess what? You're going to have two prong outlets. Uh, a lot of time, these, these outlets are, are going to be on old cloth wiring or knob and tube. And I want you guys to go in there and establish what's what. Uh, so you have an idea. So if you see an old two-prong outlet in a baseboard, what do you know? You know you probably have cloth wiring in that house. Uh, I want you guys to make sure that the lighting in the house is good. Remember, it's all about functionality. People want to come into a well-lit house uh, and they want, uh, they want to be able to plug in their stuff. <laughs> so yeah. keep, keep, keep that in mind. I like it. When I see a lot of these older homes, a lot of times they will have uh, run dedicated lines up for window air conditioners. Mm -hmm. And say you guys buy a house and it has hot water heat where you're going to go in and there's no furnace there's a boiler and you have radiators. Mm -hmm. Guess what? You can't put in forced air through radiators, right? So a lot of the time you are going to 
be uh, assuming that these people are going to have to use window air conditioners. Mm -hmm. You cannot use a window air conditioner off a two-prong outlet. It needs to be a three-prong outlet and it needs to be grounded. Uh, so hopefully you'll get lucky enough and find these established three ground, uh, these three prong outlets up by windows in the bedrooms, but a lot of times you won't. So you're going to have to run these dedicated lines up because guess what? The home inspector is going to call it out if they're not there. So go, <laughs> keep go that yeah. And going back to what you're saying about like establishing the electrical integrity of the, the outlets and everything. Can't imagine someone's going around trying each outlet and, and, and like, that, that in the weeds about it. Um, they're, they're not. You're, you're absolutely right there. Nobody's checking every outlet. I actually have a device that I check the outlets with that you can buy at Home Depot or on Amazon for about seven bucks. Okay. And basically you plug it in and it shows you whether it's grounded or it shows you whether it has reverse polarity uh, and whether the outlet's established properly. Okay. And uh, before the end of this, I will grab it out of my bag so everybody can see it. Cool. Uh, it's a great thing to have so you know. Uh, and remember, older houses are older houses. They're not perfect. And when you go to sell it, even if it's rehab, it doesn't have to be perfect. You can have, you can have a little bit of older knob and tube wiring in there. It doesn't all have to be taken out. But you want to make sure that it's not going to a high use area. Guess what? If I go in and I find an 8,000 BTU air conditioner plugged into some two prong outlet with an adapter that I know is knob and tube, I am flagging. It's one of the first things I'm going to flag because guess what? It's a safety hazard. It's too much pressure on that old wiring. Uh, but I don't mind if you have your LED light plugged into it. I don't mind if you have your LED television plugged into it, or if you're charging your phone on it. So keep that in mind. Where else do I call it out? When we, when I go into a kitchen, when you guys do your kitchens, you should, if the wiring hasn't been redone, you're going to rewire it when you do it. You're going to bring up fresh new 12 wires and make sure that you have dedicated lines to your refrigerator, dedicated lines to your dishwasher. If you put one in dedicated lines to your uh, countertops, Remember, when you have new, new, when you're putting in your countertop appliances, uh, like coffee makers and toasters, they use a lot of electricity. And uh, how often will I go in and do a home inspection and see a fried outlet on a wall because some guy had a toaster and a coffee maker plugged into the same one, right? Mm -hmm. So we're trying to establish that we are you know, we have some updated wiring. Doesn't have to all be updated, but on our high use items, we want to make sure things are updated. Kitchens, bathrooms, any wall unit that's going to have a window air conditioner has to be done. Gotcha. So yeah, for, it sounds like for something like electrical, like you're never going to, you're not going to know exactly which wires need to be replaced and, and when or in what ways and what has access and whatnot. It's more of just the, you're, you're looking at the system as a whole, right? Like the whole network. That's correct. Okay. You're looking at the whole, the network as a whole, and you're and you're hope, hopefully establishing that you don't have to replace the whole thing because rewiring a house is expensive. We want to rewire what we have to rewire, and you know, like I said, the knob and tube wiring is not. Nobody even cared about knob and tube. I did a house in Mount Airy in 2005, and the entire thing was knob and tube. Nobody even cared about knob and tube in 2005. Around 2010, 2011, all of a sudden, it became a hot issue, and most good home inspectors who know what they're doing 
aren't going to come in and flag you having knob and tube as long as it's not going to a high use area. Right. So once again, this is part of you guys establishing your budget and going in to renovate this property. You don't want to have to rewire it. Like I said, if you have 30 or $40,000, you don't want to spend 25 of it on electric, right? So keep that in mind. We're trying, we're trying to stretch the money as far as we can. And by doing this and establishing where we need to and where we don't, uh, it's helping you to save and, and, and really get the biggest bang for your buck. All right. So in, a, in just another couple minutes here, we're going to switch to the Q&A. And I see some people have submitted uh, some questions already. So thank you, everybody. And, and feel free to add some more. Um, but my last question for you, and, and you teased it at the beginning there, is, is about the roof. Um, because you know, that, that's a particularly hard place to access. I don't think a lot of single family row homes in, in Philly have, you know, like fire escapes or anything or, or roof, like simple roof access. Um, they, they, they don't. Yeah. So why don't you tell, why don't you tell us about, about what strategies you use to, to analyze the roof and, uh, you know, what, what developers in the call could use too. Well, I will, I will tell you a great way to do it. And that is, uh, we, I'm going to assume very few of you are going to actually get up and onto the roof. So uh, if you are going to go through the house and make your best determination, I want you to go up to the top floor, whether it's two or three floor stories. So if it's three stories, go up to the third floor. And I want you to look at all of the ceiling in that area and see if there's any water stains. See if you have any leaks. Take a look at the walls and see if you are getting any swelling on the plaster uh, so that you know if there's a roof issue or not. Guess where I get the most roof leaks? I think everybody's going to know this. It's always where the roof is draining. So roofs on average usually drain from front to back on a, on a row home. And usually where I get the issue is back where uh, the scupper is and the roof is draining. Water will tend to pond. It'll tend to break the roof down and you will go up and you will see staining in the ceiling. So look for staining. Uh, I use a drone. I pop it up. It's really wonderful. And uh, it gives me a full evaluation. So if you want to buy an inexpensive drone, hopefully don't fly it into somebody's car. Uh, but that would be a way you could do it as well. They're very easy. You attach them right to your cell phone. Uh, I have a DJI and literally when I send my drone up, I am looking at the, the drone's view right on my telephone, which is, which is attached to my uh, remote control. And I will look at two things when I go up there. I'm looking at the chimney and I'm looking at the roof condition. Uh, most older roofs that haven't been done in a long time are built up roofs. And when I see a built up roof, the first thing I think is it needs to be replaced. Gotcha. And I'm going to give you a quick price point on this. Flat roofs are not as expensive to replace as a shingle roof. So if you have a flat roof on an average row home that's, you know, 30 to 40 feet deep and 14 and a half to 16 feet wide, it should be no more than $3,000 to put a modified roof on there. Uh, and it's nice. If that roof is questionable, you want, you want to get on somebody's good side when you're selling the house, have that inspector see a brand new roof up there. And right off the bat, he is feeling good about the property. Good chimneys, good roofs, always a good thing. If you're in question when you go to look at the house on the condition, you're seeing water stains, I want you to jot down $3,000 right into your budget, assuming that you're going to have to put a new modified roof on there. Okay. 
All right. And I think that's a, a logical place to close out. We, we started in the basement and then we ended at the roof and, uh, and, and that's pretty much the whole process. So Bob, thank you so much for, for walking us through it. And, and we're going to jump into some more uh, or attendee questions here, but uh, that was a great overview. And I'm, I'm looking forward to editing, editing that into the podcast and, and having all that great information like readily available, because I'm sure a lot of people will feel a lot less intimidated or nervous about the process if they you know, heard everything you just shared with us. So thank you, Bob. I appreciate you, you joining us tonight. You got it. Well, I, I appreciate you guys having me. You know, I have used Jumpstart Germantown to do my own projects, and I think it's a great program. And I hope all of you, like I said, I love rehabbing houses. It's really, it's really wonderful. I've gotten the privilege of rehabbing 12 houses and building two from scratch. Uh, and uh, I think, I think if it's something that you love, I think you'll have a great experience and you'll have success. So use Jumpstart. Uh, they are there to help you. And hopefully uh, you will have some of the experiences that I've had and make a little bit of money and, uh, you know, really enjoy yourself doing it. And that concludes my conversation with Jumpstart Germantown mentor and experienced home inspector Bob Worth to discuss all you need to know about property walkthroughs and how to complete an effective inspection for a potential project. Next week, I'll be speaking with the founder of Trades for a Difference, Jordan Paris Ferrarini, who will share his tips for getting through a renovation quickly without losing quality along the way. The interviews on this program are recorded during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jumpinar series, which takes place every Monday night on Zoom webinar at 7 p.m. If you'd like to participate in a live Q&A with our guests, be sure to head to jumpstartgermantown.com events and register for next week's Jumpinar. And if you're interested in starting a Jumpstart program in your own community, you can visit gojumpstart.org and see our how-to training guide and open source training workbook. Thanks so much for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. Be sure to tune in next week.